0: Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City.
1: I want to welcome you this evening to our commemoration of the most tragic day in human history. The death of Jesus, the most perfect person who has ever lived. This is a tragic day. It is a dark day. And yet, for 2,000 years, Christians have been calling this day good. It is a good Friday because we believe that in the death of Christ, there's life to be found. We're going to spend a few minutes together in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, but would you please bow your heads and pray with me first? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in eternity past, You planned to rescue and redeem stubborn sinners like us. God, we're thankful that you were not willing to leave us to our own devices. You were not willing to leave us to our own choices, to our fool-headedness. But God, you intervened in human history by sending your son Jesus we are thankful that you were willing to die on a cross in our place for our sins. Jesus we're thankful that you offered yourself willingly as a sacrifice to pay our debt in full. Holy Spirit we're thankful for your presence with us with us here this evening. And I ask that you would give all of us soft hearts to receive the truths from the word, the scriptures that you inspired to be written. Holy Spirit, bring these words to life tonight in our hearts and in our minds. And Holy Spirit, would you guard my lips and help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. We pray all of this for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. Amen. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I I wonder tonight, what have your experiences been with death? From your earliest memories as a child up until recently, where have you interacted with? Where have you brushed up against death? My own earliest childhood memories are my parents explaining to me that my great-grandmother had passed away. I didn't know my great-grandmother well, but whenever we would go visit her, us great-grandchildren, she was always kind and she always had some sort of a toy or a goodie for us. And in my young mind, trying to just wrestle with the idea that I'm I'm never going to see her again. Remember a little older in my childhood, uh, the family dog, the dog that we loved dearly, I especially loved dearly, this dog slept in my bed, at the foot of my bed, most every single night, had turned mean, had, had bitten a little girl that we knew. And my parents made that difficult choice that some of you may have had to do to put the dog down. I remember being seven, maybe six years old and just weeping at the idea that I'm, I'm never gonna see my little dog again. I remember being in middle school and there was a 19-year-old college kid from our, our church community who had, who had uh, taken me under his wing. He was 19. He had a car. He taught me about U2, the band. He took me skiing with him. And he loved Jesus. My parents, for the most part, raised me in the church, taught me to love Jesus. But when there's like a 19-year-old college kid who's cool, who loves Jesus... That deposit in my life, that meant a lot. I remember being over at my friend's house on a Saturday for a a sleepover and getting a phone call from my mom that a drunk driver had crossed over a lane of traffic and had ended his life. And I would never see him again. I remember going to school that Monday and the following weeks and just in my 11, 12-year-old brain just trying to comprehend how could this happen. I remember being in college and receiving word that a third classmate of mine that I went to elementary school with had died. One had died in a motorcycle accident. One had 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 a life-ending illness, took her very suddenly. One was fooling around with a gun at a party. And accidentally shot and killed himself, and I, I just remember thinking i 'm young at this point twenty one maybe twenty two thinking that there's these people that I, I went to elementary school with, I played at recess with them, I fought with at least one of them, and they're just gone. remember being in college, walking into my uh, I think it was an economics class with this dazed look in my eyes and all of the other students had this dazed look in their eyes and the teacher had this dazed look in her eyes because we had all just seen on the news the, the Twin Towers in New York fall. Just trying to grapple with this type of death, this magnitude of evil in the world. Remember being a little older in my 20s. I'm a pastor now. I'm a, I'm a worship pastor. I'm leading in the church I remember getting a phone call in the middle of the night that one of my best friends, their nine month old daughter had fallen over, had hit in her head had gone into a seizure and had died. And I remember getting a phone call not quite a year later that another son that they had had three months old died of SIDS in the, in the crib. Trying to be a pastor, trying to love people, trying to teach people the word of God and just grappling with how can this type of Job-like suffering happen in the life of one family? Remember my first funeral, the church I was a part of in Alaska did this thing called the pastor of the week. So if anybody called the church office for anything that wasn't part of your regularly scheduled program of pastoral activities, you you got assigned it as family. I didn't know them. I didn't know the deceased and they asked me to do the funeral. Just grappling with death and how to talk about it and how to speak about it and somebody I didn't know. I I remember my kids when I became a parent, my little kids, and it it sounds silly, but them just weeping over the death of their gerbil. (laughs) Trying to explain to these little kids, yeah, this, this gerbil's gone. Some of the serious interactions with death that I've had at this point and it's just a little it's a rodent it's a vermin but it was precious to them I remember in 2015 after we launched Sound City Bible Church performing my first funeral within the church a man called me up and he said hey I'd like to meet with you we sat in his office and he said you know been battling cancer for the better part of five years. We've tried everything. the Chemo, the radiation, it's ravaging my body and I just want to enjoy the remaining time that I have left on this earth with my wife and with my children, with my grandchildren. So I've decided to stop treatment. I don't know how long I have. It's not gonna be long, but I wanna sit with you and I wanna plan my funeral because I wanna make sure the gospel is preached at my funeral. I said, you don't gotta twist my arm. Let's do this. What a, what a unique privilege it was as a pastor to get in, to sit with someone and plan their funeral and to get to watch him over those last few months of his life, the purpose and determination of it was to get to sit with them in his bedroom about 12 hours before he passed away, and pray over him and pray with his wife and his children. I remember waking up just last Sunday. Checking my phone before I drove over here to preach on Palm Sunday and finding out that at least 30 of our Christian brothers and sisters in Egypt were slaughtered by terrorists on Palm Sunday in their church building. Friends, I would submit to you that in our culture, we do not do a good job of interacting with death. We try to hide it. We try to sanitize it. We try to turn a blind eye to it. Sure, we're entertained by it in the evenings and on the weekends, but we do not do a good job of interacting with death. But I would also submit to you that we live in a land of death. Every time you take a breath in, the stench of death is filling your nostrils. And the Bible is a very honest book, is it not? The Bible deals honestly with death and all of the consequences that are related to death. And I want to share with you a few things about death from this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 21 of this passage that we read, it said, In Adam all die. It says, For for as by a man came death, this, this man, this Adam, he brought death into the world. It shows us a few things. Number one, death is universal. Death is universal. In Adam, who dies? All die. Death is the great equalizer. doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how good looking you are, how ugly you are. Death eventually claims everyone. Death has a, Perfect track record, does it not? Well, almost perfect, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Death is universal. Nobody escapes death. People go to great lengths, exercising, eating well, taking care of their bodies, but eventually it catches up to all of us, does it not? Death is universal. Death is also, number two, we can see the result of sin. It says that death came Through a man. Death came through a man's choice. Adam. Death is the result of our sin. Friends, we're all in Adam, are we not? There's no one here tonight that can claim that they have lived up to God's standard of perfection. We have all sinned. We've all left the door open, as it were, when there's wild animals and bandits on the porch. Death is the result of sin. Number three, we know that death is a curse. In Genesis 12, in Genesis 3, rather, I should say, God, God put the man and the woman in this garden and, and says, there's this tree, and on the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So don't eat of the tree. That there's a curse. There's, there's something rather hopeless about death, something that we can't just overcome on our own strength, can we? The fourth thing we can see, though, is that in Adam, death is both physical and Spiritual. God made Adam, it says, from the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life into him. Friends, we are both body and spirit, are we not? We are material and we are immaterial. And we know that death has infected our bodies, that our, our physical body will die. But the book of Ephesians would tell us that death has even affected and infected our spirits, that we are dead in our transgressions. Death has affected all of who we are, the totality of who we are. And number five, death is unnatural. It's unnatural. It's it's a tragedy. Every death is a tragedy because when God created the heavens and the earth, everything he created, the land, the sea, the, the sky, the stars, the sun, the moon, the animals, the fish, the birds, what did God say about his creation? What did he call it? called it good. When he created the man and the woman, he created it very good. And we know that the world is a broken place, that something unnatural has entered in to human existence. This thing called death. Every death is a tragedy. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, he says this, our enemy death has marched in, as it were, with sword and fire ravaging the human race. Neither goth, nor Hun, nor Tartar could have slain so universally all that breathed. For death has suffered none to escape. Everywhere it has withered household joys and created sorrow and sighing in all lands where the sun is seen, it hath blinded men's eyes with weeping. The tear of the bereaved, the wail of the widow, and the moan of the orphan, these have been death's war music. And he has found therein a song of victory. The greatest conquerors have only been death's slaughtermen, journeymen butchers, working in his shambles. War is nothing better than death holding carnival and devouring his prey a little more in haste than is his common want. From a human perspective, friends, death is hopeless. But thank God that we don't only have human perspective. Because of the word of God, we're invited into a divine perspective. Look what the apostle Paul says in verse seven. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He throws out this challenge. If, if, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then friends, let me be honest with you. This tonight is a huge waste of our time. A gigantic waste of your time. Almost anything else that you could do would be a better use of your time than being here if Christ has not been raised. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're done. It's hopeless. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now I want to speak briefly of the resurrection tonight. I, by the way, I'll just admit to you, 1 Corinthians 15 is a little bit of an unusual passage to preach on Good Friday. It speaks so much of the resurrection, you might think it's it would be a more fitting Easter Sunday passage. But you cannot speak of the resurrection of Jesus without first speaking of the death of Jesus. And I believe the opposite is true. You can't speak of the death of Jesus without also pointing to the hope of the resurrection. So let me do so in a minute. But first, let me remind you that our Savior, on a Thursday night, sat with his disciples and he broke bread. And as he did so, what should have been a joyful moment, celebrating the Passover meal together, the scent of death was already in the air. Jesus knew that one of his close friends was going to betray him. Jesus then took his disciples to the garden where he prayed earnestly, so earnestly, the scriptures tell us that he sweat drops of blood, crying out, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Father, if there is another way, let this this pass from me. Nevertheless, the most important prayer that's ever been prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus prayed to his father. The soldiers found him. Judas kissed him to identify him in the dark. Skirmish broke out. Swords were drawn. Blood was shed. Even right there in the garden, death is hanging in the air. They took Jesus to the chief priests, to the religious leaders. They held a mock trial. They brought liars forward to say things that were utterly untrue of Jesus. They hit him, they struck him, they mocked him. They took him to Herod, the the king over the region. They took him back to the religious leaders. They took him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he said, I I don't see anything here that's deserving of a capital offense. This seems like some sort of a religious skirmish you guys are having. I, I don't really see anything worthy of putting him to death. I'll just have him flogged. We'll just take the cat of nine tails, the, 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 the whip with pieces of rock and bone and, and glass and tooth in it and we'll, we'll shred the flesh off of his body and that'll teach him not to, to stir up trouble, but there's no reason to kill him. The religious leaders whip the people into a frenzy early Friday morning. They're chanting, crucify him, kill him. And so the cross was loaded onto Jesus' raw back. He carried it. Out of the city to a hill called the skull, and there, at about nine in the morning, on a Friday morning, he had nails driven through his hands and his feet, nailed like a common criminal on a criminal's cross, hung like meat on that tree. The people walked by, they mocked him. they spit on him. They wagged their head in shame. And for all of that physical suffering, do you know what's the the deeper truth to all of that? that? There was a spiritual agony that far outweighed any of that. Because there on the cross, Jesus was rejected by his heavenly Father. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that has only known love and communion for all of eternity. There the Father turned his face away from the Son, treated Jesus as sin. Why? So that we could be treated as the righteousness of God. The spiritual agony that Jesus endured far outweighed the physical agony. And then, about three in the afternoon, Jesus took a big, deep breath of air, breathed in the stench of death, his own death, and cried out with a loud voice, it is finished! And he hung his head and died. Friends, all that was for us. All that was because of us. Our sins are what nailed Jesus to that cross. And friends, we might not like it, but the truth of the scripture is that we are the ones that deserve all of that. We deserve not only the, the, the physical pain, but we deserve to be rejected by God. But God made him. The one who knew no sin, God made him to be sin so that we could be treated as the righteousness of Christ. What an amazing exchange that is. What an amazing offer that is. Amen? That's our Jesus. That's the death that he died. The Christian faith is bloody. Embarrassingly so. Skeptics would call it barbaric. Critics would call it unnecessary. But see, the blood reminds us of our mortality, does it not? Dealing honestly with our frailty, dealing honestly with our humanity. The blood reminds us of suffering in the world and the brokenness of the world. But friends, might I submit to you that the blood also reminds us that there in that moment, something happened. Something cosmic shifted. John Owen, the great Puritan preacher, said his blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Something shifted. Something happened. Something took place there in that moment on the cross that was then proved to be true on the third day. On Sunday morning when the resurrection happened. I want you to come back on Sunday because we're going to tease this out in full. But friends, let me at least just say to you briefly... You need to remember that the resurrection is proof positive that something happened. A change occurred. Because of the resurrection, verse 17 tells us that our sin is dealt with. Is that good news to anyone tonight? Because of the resurrection, our sin is dealt with. The apostle Paul says we're no longer still in our sins. The curse, the curse is dealt with. Our debt, the great debt that we owe to God has been paid. The relational separation that took place in the garden all the way back in Genesis 3 has been removed and we can know our God personally and closely. Because of the resurrection, this is amazing. Because of the resurrection, our relationship with death has changed and death is now temporary. Did you you catch that when the apostle Paul says, those who have fallen asleep those who have fallen asleep to the apostle paul if the resurrection is true death is now as temporary as falling asleep each and every night we we fall asleep except for those of you mothers with young infants we're praying for you we love you sleep will come someday we lay our heads down on our pillow. We don't know how long we're going to sleep. Maybe it's, maybe you stayed up too late. Maybe you have an early morning. Maybe you have a morning where you get to sleep in, but you expect that at some point you're going to wake up. Friends, if you are in Christ, the resurrection proves that death doesn't get the last word. It's now a temporary inconvenience and we're all gonna wake up one day. We're gonna see Jesus face to face. And there's more, there's more. The resurrection It doesn't just mean that Jesus rose. It doesn't just mean that we will rise. It means that God's new creation project has launched. Did you catch what it said in verse 23? Christ, the first fruits. Christ, the first fruits. For those of you who are gardeners, or maybe you you have a flower bed that you like to take care of, you know that that first sign of life is so important because it means that there's more to come. See, the world is broken. The world is corrupted by death. The world is held under the bondage of death, but the resurrection of Jesus means that God's new creation is breaking into this dead and dying creation. It means that God's not done with us yet. God's not done with his world yet. But here's the, here's the challenge. Verse 23. It says this, but each In his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. And when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, everything that stands up against the rule and the reign of Christ is being put away with. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So friends, death was dealt a deadly blow at the resurrection of Jesus. But we're still waiting to see that come to full fruition. There's still much that is broken in the world. And should the Lord not return in our lifetimes, we will all one day take our last breath. But the resurrection of Jesus means that we can have hope. One Bible scholar and and, uh, English pastor, N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. He says, all sorts of things, they're still out of joint. Both on a large and a small scale in the world. And the creator God will put them right. All sorts of things are still going wrong, corrupting the lives of human beings and the larger life of the environment, the planet itself. God, the creator, will put them right. All sorts of things are still wrong with us. Jesus' own followers. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. Jesus, when he comes, will put us right as well. That may not be comfortable, but it's what we need. Believing he will do it is part of Christian humility. Waiting for it is part of Christian patience. Believing he will do it is part of Christian humility. Waiting for it is part of Christian patience. Friends, death is all around us. I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know what your experiences have been. I don't know what your experiences will be. Until the day that we see Jesus face to face, we still will have to interact with death. But the resurrection of Jesus means that we don't have to run and hide. We don't have to turn a blind eye because death has been dealt with in the death of Jesus. And so we wait with hope, with joy, and with patience until that day. Father, I ask that you would fill our hearts with hope and you'd fill our hearts with joy and you'd fill our hearts with patience while we wait for the glorious appearing of Jesus. We await the day when that last enemy to be defeated, death, is destroyed once and for all. We thank you, Jesus, that the resurrection means that death doesn't get the last word. And I pray now, God, as we respond to you and as we celebrate the Lord's table, we commemorate the death of Jesus, that you would fill our hearts with that hope and with that joy. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Friends, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table now together. Um, The volunteers will begin passing it out from the back of the room. If you're new with us, um, we have these ever so inconveniently convenient uh, little travel packs, part of being a church that does set up, tear down in a borrowed space. But friends, the power is not in these elements themselves. This is a symbol. The power is in what they represent, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And I would say to you this, uh, this is for Christians. If you are a guest or a visitor with us, you are welcome to join us at the table if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I would put before you two options. We invite you to either abstain and just reflect on this, chew on this, what I've been presenting about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Or, or even better, friends, place your trust in Jesus. Say, yes, I, I have sinned, I've broken God's law. Yes, I need a redeemer, I need a savior. Yes, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins. Yes, I believe that he rose on the third day conquering over sin and death. And I wanna put my hope in him and, and join us for the first time at the table. I'll invite you to hold on to this together. I'm going to lead us through uh, responding all together, but also as they're handing out the elements, we're going to pray a a prayer together out loud. Um, This is a Puritan prayer from a book called The Valley of Vision. The Puritans, certainly not perfect, but they wrote some things down that, boy, they, they speak the truth of the gospel in just some amazing and poetic ways. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to read this out loud along with me to to celebrate the death of Christ in our place for our sins. And then when we're done, I'll lead us through this time of response. Would you read out loud with me? Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy, cast off that I might be brought in, trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst, that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped, that I might be clothed. Wounded, that I might be healed. Thirsty, that I might drink. Tormented, that I might be comforted. Made a shame, that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness, that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. Grounded that I might have endless song. Endured all pain that I might have unending health. Bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might lift up mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might live forever. Luke chapter 22 tells us of that last night, Jesus and his disciples. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at table with the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let's take of the bread together. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, This is the cup that shows us there's a new agreement with God written in his blood, an agreement of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Let's drink of the cup together and remember this covenant in his blood. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body and for your blood that was spilled. And now as we sing and we rejoice in you, Now would you fill us up with the hope that comes from knowing that death doesn't get the last word. We love you and we worship you Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.